In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Abdullah Albiati, who used the same technology that Bitcoin is based on to revolutionize the way that medical records are stored and shared. He formed a company called Medical Chain with his cousin and went on to raise $24 million. Now, if you're wondering what the connection between someone who's raised $24 million as CEO of a major medical company is and Medic's Money, well, you're just going to have to listen to the episode to find out if you've ever had an idea to change or improve the way that medicine is done or that you have an idea for a company or business outside of medicine, then this episode is absolutely packed full of tips from one of the very best at how to make this happen. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So welcome to this episode of the Medics Money Podcast, where I'm delighted to be uh, introducing Dr. Abdullah Albiati, who is a GP, but also the CEO and founder of Medical Chain, which is an electronic health record, which uses the blockchain technology uh, to um, transfer the data. So Abdullah, I've given you a little introduction there, but do you want to tell um, everyone a bit more about yourself? Yeah. Hi, Tommy. Thanks very much for having me on your podcast today. Um, so yeah, I'm a GP in Leeds. Uh, I'm the interim chair of the Royal College of GPs Yorkshire faculty. Um, I also sit on our local LMC board in Leeds as well. So I'm a very active GP. But at the same time, I suppose my side hustle, well, it depends which one you view as the side hustle and the main hustle. I also am the founder and CEO of a company called Medical Chain. And um, I, I sort of introduced a bit about what Medical Chain does there, but uh, can you give me your explanation of what Medical Chain does? Because it's really innovative uh, technology, which I think as a GP myself could be so useful. Yeah, so it's, a, it's the age-old problem really of, of data sharing, data silos, empowering patients, really just trying to disrupt the way that we do healthcare today in the sense that if patients truly were the owners of their medical records and truly at the center of their care, then they would be bringing this information with them from appointment to appointment. So gone would be the days of the patient being at the mercy of an A&E department or GP service or hospital that has snippets of information about them, but not the whole story. So the premise of the company is trying to empower patients to have access to their medical records. And it just so happens that there's a technology out there called blockchain technology, which is a way of facilitating the patient having access to their records where they can absolutely indisputably prove that these records that I'm sharing with the doctor today from my mobile phone is exactly the same records you'd have in my GP practice in the hospital or the A&E department. So if you have a patient who's acting as the conduit carrying the data with them, then you really can open up so many opportunities. And you know the, the blockchain element is just the technology behind how it works, but it's not really the uh, driving force. If somebody told me that, I don't know, uh, 5G would have solved this problem, then we would have said, okay, we'd do 5G. I don't mind what it is that we use. It's just I need to make sure that patients are the conduit, bringing the information with them from appointment to appointment. I think as doctors, we can all uh, clearly uh, um, sympathize with, you know, that frustration of sharing information. You know, you're seeing a patient in A&E and they say, Oh, these are the drugs that I'm on. 
uh, or this is my medical risk history, and but they're out of town, maybe they're on holiday, and you have no way to verify that information. And um, so how does medical chain help to uh, overcome that problem? Yeah, so, so the idea is that the patient would be presenting to a department and they'd have their access to their medical records on their mobile device. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make it a health passport. So the idea is that whatever they have access to on their primary care records, secondary care records, private healthcare provider, all of it would stay at those uh, server bases. So it still has to be protected by the NHS servers or the private hospital servers, wherever it may be. But the blockchain element we bring in acts as a pointer or a hash towards where that data is stored. And essentially, to give a very dumbed down version of blockchain, blockchain is a distributed, decentralized way of sharing data. So distributed meaning that it's not just one server that holds the information. So like in the WannaCry virus, when the servers got hit, the whole system went down. This is distributed across lots of different networks or nodes. And it's decentralized, meaning it's not just one entity that holds these records. So, you know, it's just the NHS, for example. No, these this information is decentralized across the NHS, universities, researchers, the patient themselves. So the idea is that if anybody in that system, that ecosystem wants to delete a record, they couldn't do it independently. They'd have to have a consensus with all the other node holders who are decentralized and distributed to all agree, yes, this is the information. And as a result, this is why the level of security or the authenticity of the information is so high because nobody can manipulate this data when it's on this scale distributed decentralized uh, a real day example of this is bitcoin for example the reason people are happy to have millions and billions of dollars stored within this kind of cryptocurrency this digital currency is because it's really not hackable there's been lots of news stories where money's been stolen and whatnot but that's just normal uh, you know stealing someone's passwords giving somebody a virus but the actual technology behind bitcoin the blockchain itself hasn't been cracked at all I mean, it's fascinating uh, technology, and I think its uh, potential is just amazing, which is almost certainly why you've raised uh, a lot of money, I think uh, $24 million uh, of funding to uh, pursue this. I mean, you're, you're a GP like me, and you're sat in your GP practice, and you're having the frustrations about sharing health records, and then you think, I'm going to start a company called Medical Chain using the technology that Bitcoin has built on to revolutionize the way uh, health records are, are done. Tell me about how you started that journey, because it's, it's incredible, really. Well, I started that journey even before GP. Uh, form, I, I was a GP trainee, uh, which made it much harder because obviously I wasn't the boss of my own time there. And I had a curriculum to do. I had my AKT to sit. Uh, we had the CSA, if people still remember what that is, pre-COVID times. Um, and the journey really started. I, I was in the cardiology department in Leeds. Um, we were talking about discharge summaries and the quality of this document, which is so varied and mainly poor, where somebody's had a really serious heart attack. The GP is receiving four lines on a scrap piece of paper that says, yeah, this is what happened. Can you take over? Or somebody's had some kind of chest pain secondary to some anxiety or say some reflux. And the F1 has written six pages to describe this. And again, it's just it's useless and the gp can't go through all those all that information to get to the real nuggets of what the discharge summary is about so i wanted to create a pro forma online a free website called discharge summary.co.uk which any junior doctor up and down the country could just log in 
type in a few details, click generate, and the document will generate a really nice discharge summary for you, covering all the salient points, having lots of safety information in there for the patient at the bottom. You know, you've been discharged today, but if you feel short of breath and sweating and chest pain, make sure you represent, et cetera, et cetera. So this is how the company started. I originally went to my co-founder today, uh, Mo Tape, who you've spoken to, Tommy, before you've met. And uh, I said, Mo, you know, you're a very knowledgeable guy and successful with business. Uh, can you help me build this discharge summary? And he told me no. And he told me to go away. And he told me, go on one of these GoDaddy websites and see, see how somebody else can figure it out for you. So I was like, OK, that's very nice because Mo's my brother-in-law. I thought he would have helped me out, but fair enough. Um, so then I found another brother-in-law uh, called Barra Mustafa. And I said, Barra, I've got this idea. Mo's too busy for me. Could you help me build this website? Because I have no technical background at all. And um, just keep it in context. I was a GP ST2 at this point. So Barra, or we call him Barry, uh, helped me build this website. I learned a little bit about coding. We put it together. It was quite successful. Uh, launched in Leeds, Lewisham Teaching Hospital, Queen Elizabeth, Princess Royal, uh, around Woolwich area, and moved out of cardiology, went into orthopedics, went into care of the elderly, and essentially caught the attention of a large pharmaceutical company who realized that the quality of the discharge summary had improved, so their medications were being prescribed better, more accurately, and they wanted to fund this project. Um, at this point, me and Barry we are not business people. You know, I'm still just a doctor who knows now a little bit about coding and technical things. Barry is a technical guy who worked in a security IT firm and we don't know anything about business. So the one guy we know who does know business is Mo. So I went back to Mo and I said, you remember that idea I told you about? This uh, pharmaceutical company wants to purchase it for £200,000. Uh, and then now Mo's interested and is thinking, okay, right, how can I come on board? What's going on? You know, what, what other ideas did you have? So just to conclude, this discharge summary we never sold is still completely for free and still active today. But as a result of those conversations and, and pursuing with something which was very small scale, I was able to bring somebody on board like Mo as the co-founder, Barry as our CTO, and we formed this, this team, this company. And yeah, we went on to raise $24 million uh, about three years ago now. I mean, that is just an amazing story. Uh, and I, you know, just telling it from the ground up like that was amazing. Uh, now, if you're listening to this and thinking like me, Abdullah and Mo sound like old friends who all went to school together or something, uh, we, uh, I've never met you guys face to face, thanks to the pandemic. Um, but uh, we met about two months ago now, didn't we? Do you want to say how we met or should I tell the story? You tell the story, you go for it. Yeah. So obviously, Medics Money, um, Everybody knows what we're doing. We're trying to help our colleagues make better financial decisions. And um, I was listening to a podcast uh, with Abdullah on, and uh, I think it was Big Picture Medicine by Mustafa, which you should definitely check out because I love it. And on that, Abdullah said, "Look, if you're if you're a doctor and you're like trying to get a business going and you want some mentoring, just LinkedIn me." And uh, everybody says that, and uh, I LinkedIn them, and they never reply. So I LinkedIn Abdullah. I never even met him before and he replied straight away and then we had a super useful call uh like mentoring us basically with mo and um i love mo because mo doesn't pull any punches and that's exactly what we want because with medics money everybody's just been saying oh it's great what you guys are doing you know it's great it's great but me and ed do better with productive you know punchy feedback and so the call that we had with you guys was invaluable so 
that's how we met. And um, I'm just amazed that you have, you're doing all of that and you still have time to give out, you know, mentoring advice to small little startups like our, ourselves. I mean, tell me a bit more about your mentoring because it is amazing that you managed to fit it all in. Yeah, so it's something I'm a, I'm a massive advocate of. Uh, I, I really believe in, you know, we, we were taught at uni, you know, see one, do one, teach one. Uh, and I've really taken that principle on board. You know, th- there's no way I know anything without somebody ha- giving me the time, giving me the opportunity and letting me unleash my potential or tap into a potential I didn't know that I had. And I think it's really, you know, incumbent on all of us. If you're ever in a position to help somebody else, you really need to help that other individual out because you don't know, like, for example, what you guys are doing, Tommy, you'll go on to help so many other people secure better deals, better mortgages, better financial plans, better long-term pension plans, and that's going to go support their families. And the direct link will be obviously you and your company that's helped them. But I would like to think I played a small part because of the two minutes we spent on the phone or whatever it may have been. Um, So there's all these great things you can be involved in just by giving up your time. And loads of people have given up their time. I still have my own mentors. I don't know anything. I don't, you know, I, I hardly know a lot of things in business and I still have to go back to my mentors and say, look, I'm at these crossroads. Do I go left? Do I go right? You're more senior than me. You've made it, you know, you've exited companies in the hundreds of millions. What do you think I should do? Um, so when I tell people approach me, ask me, yes, I'm always happy to do it. There are some people who have approached me and we didn't gel. You know, I, I could tell this is not really going to work out between us. I tried giving them some advice and probably, you know, signposted them or directed them to other sources of information. With somebody like you, Tommy, you obviously switched on, hardworking, and those kind of people which are committed and driven, similar to Mustafa, who's a, who's a medical student, by the way. You know, he approached me and said, look, I'm, I'm starting my podcast. Will you be my first person on my podcast? You know, and I said, yeah, of course I'll help you. That's not a problem. And that was just to paint a picture for you about multitasking. I was at Imperial giving a talk to the medical students there in some coding um, uh, lecture for them. And I had to pop out in the lunch break just to do the podcast with Mustafa to then pop back in and do the afternoon with the coding guys again. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just juggling all of those balls uh, and keeping them all in the air. But, uh, you know, I'm so grateful for the mentoring that you are giving us. It's invaluable to us. Um one thing that I wanted to touch on, because, you know, you've trained as a doctor and everything that you've done from since A-levels probably has pushed you towards being a doctor. And then suddenly you're the CEO of a company which has raised 24 million. Is there any um, transferable skills that medicine taught you that you can take over to be a CEO? Or is it like learning everything again? There are lots of transferable skills. Um, I think the, the great thing we have, I think, in the majority of us embedded as medics is we have a lot of people skills and people skills goes a long way to motivate people, to manage people. You know, between me and Mo, we have very different personalities and Mo's management style will work very well on some people, whereas other people, they need a little bit of a chat, delve a little bit deeper, a bit of TLC. And then you see those people come on board because you give them the opportunity to explore themselves, explore their own interests. And they really will come back and surprise you with something because you gave them, gave them that little bit of freedom. So I think, you know, just on the people skills, it's very transferable. On other things, you know, we'd, we'd hope we're reasonably smart. We're, we're reasonably quick at picking up 
uh, themes. So when somebody's explaining to me taxes, somebody's explaining to me, uh, you know, revenue shares and uh, these are our expenses and this is what our table looks like at the end of the month, at the end of the year. It's, it's a learning process, but we're good at picking up these these qualities. I think the biggest thing we have as medics going forward in any business is our credibility. And we really, really undervalue and undersell what a big deal it is to be a doctor. Maybe in this country, it's not paraded about as much or, or made a big deal of. But certainly when I've been on my travels and, and I've been traveling to the Far East or, or South Korea or, or Japan or these kind of countries, you get a huge amount of respect for being a medical doctor. So when you stand in front of a, a crowd of people or an auditorium and you explain to them your business concept, whatever it may be, medical or non-medical, just by saying that you're a doctor, you're instantly trusted, you're instantly listened to, and people will follow you on this journey. So I think, you know, just having that background as a doctor really takes you a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's something that's really surprised me um, that me and Ed uh, have no background in business either. Obviously, Ed's an accountant and a tax advisor, so that gives us a pretty good handle on the numbers. But I've just found the, the transferable skills from medicine there's so many of them, you know, what we do on a daily basis, just from the basics of like, if you can prioritize a ward round job list, you can prioritize your day in terms of what needs to be done uh, when and where. And, you know, I think sometimes when I'm pitching to people, uh, I see a pitch as a bit like when you're presenting a patient on the ward round, it's like, this is the problem. This is what I think the solution is. And this is what I've done to affect it. And a pitch is in some ways similar to that. So, um, We've definitely found that a lot of transferable skills uh, that have come across. Um, so if somebody's listening to this and they've got an idea um, like you had, like I had, uh, and they've got nothing else, you know, where, where's the first step on the ladder? Where do you, how do you get going? Yeah, so it's, it's a tough one, really, because every, everybody's journey is so different. Um, I think the first thing to do is talk to your friends and talk to your family members. I think some people are of the thinking i have this really good idea i'm not going to tell anybody because i'm worried they'll steal my idea and i think you'll find that having an idea and bringing that idea to fruition is a huge gap you know massive massive undertaking in terms of time effort funding structuring registering companies building teams finding technical people so don't be afraid to tell somebody your idea Obviously, to somebody you plan to work with, don't tell every Tom, Dick and Harry who you don't actually want to work with, but bring people around you that you know will support you on this journey and have their own skill set as well. I think if you're struggling to network with people, then there's lots of incubator programs, especially in big cities such as London, where you can go to these incubators and you can find essentially a co-founder. You can link with other people there, network with people there and share your ideas. And then you'll slowly realize that actually this person coming on would be a really big value add for me and the company that I'm trying to propose. I think also if you're a medical person, you should look at what Professor Tony Young is running, the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Program. It's a great place to come with purely an idea and find the different tools and resources there to build upon it to really start forming your company. Um, and never feel afraid. You know, everybody's at different stages of their journey. Everybody will have an imposter syndrome. You know, it's great that we've been around for a few years. It's great that we've raised some money. Uh, it's great that I'm still able to juggle being a doctor, doing all of this. But I'll compare myself to an established company. You know, where's your product? Where's your revenue? Uh, why hasn't everybody in the high street downloaded your app? 
why why hasn't your business taken off internationally and you'll get this imposter syndrome of i've not actually made it have i i'm actually really far away from doing this so to never feel disheartened everybody's at some stage in their journey and you need to just start having those conversations and putting yourself forwards and then the pieces will start coming together absolutely and i think you mentioned imposter syndrome which is a, a massive thing for everybody but i think you know um that's what keeps me motivated you know that feeling that we can always do something better or thinking about new ways to do things and um it's just normal like even though i'm an experienced gp now um i still have situations on a daily basis where a patient comes to me i have no idea what the solution is but i have the skills to work through and get to the solution and i found that that is the same in business uh, as some presented with situations on an almost daily basis with medics money where i have no idea what the solution is uh but just using what we have and our problem solving skills um is invaluable so we've talked a bit about um the fact that you run a medical chain um but you still work as a doctor and that is not something that um a lot of people do who work in this space so obviously that's a conscious decision by you do you want to tell us a bit about what how much doctoring you still do and why do you still do it Yes, I suppose the first reason, as cheesy as it sounds, I love being a doctor. Uh, you know, it's it's my profession. It's what I've spent the largest portion of my time in my life working towards. And it's not something I would ever give up easily. Uh, number two, I would say I'm very fortunate that I have such a strong senior team around me that I can afford to go do this work. And they are accepting of me to do this work. If you imagine you have a business idea, a concept now, so thankfully, Tommy, it's you and Ed, and you guys have got a great relationship and you guys can go forward. Imagine in the future, you guys accept a big uh, cash injection from an investor, some kind of VC or angel investor. They give you, you know, hopefully one day, 50 million. and say, look, go ahead. I really believe in what you guys are doing. Do you think the VC or the angel investor is going to be happy when he hears Tommy's doing his morning clinic? He'd be like, what the hell, man? I gave you all this money to work on the project. Stop doing this GP malarkey and get back on the project that I actually gave you money and invested in you. So we're in a very fortunate position that we don't have anybody dictating to us what we do in our time. And the only people I really have to answer to is my co-founders and the other senior people in the team, which are very understanding and encourage me to keep being a doctor. The third thing to mention is I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. You know, nobody's come and given me a huge pile of cash, billions of dollars that I think, right, I can rest my laurels here and I can start enjoying the good life and I don't need to be a GP anymore. I know the money and the numbers we've been speaking about in this podcast sound big, but it's not my money. This is always being invested on the team. You know, we started off not taking any salary at all for ourselves. And I actually earn more as a GP than I do through my uh, medical chain work, which I just have to take a nominal salary just to shore up the books and show yes i'm actually one of the ceos i'm actually a paid employee of this company but i earn more as a gp so that's i suppose the fourth reason if we've gone to number four is financially i still need to earn money myself so being a gp or a locum gp is a great way to earn money i enjoy it my teammates support me and it's something which i can afford to do I mean, absolutely agree with all of that. Uh, you know, um, one thing that I've noticed um, a lot is maybe it's just the people that I'm hanging out with in this space, but there seems to be a lot of GPs that are doing, as you said, side hustles, um, but not so many uh, hospital specialists. Uh, do you think that's a valid observation? And if so, why do you think that is? I think it's multifactorial. I think, you know, 
I have a huge respect to our colleagues that work in the hospital because they have the same qualifications of us. They might even be better than us, you know, education wise, brilliance wise, juggling different things. But they've really committed and focused on providing a service to that community and that hospital. And essentially, they're not their own boss as a, as a hospital consultant. You'll still have a manager of a department who's overshadowing all the consultants you'll still have the chief executive of the hospital which is your your overall boss as a gp you're very fortunate that either you're a partner so you're your own boss or you can be a locum and again in in a way you're your own boss i think if you could probably do it as a salaried but that'd be harder because you can't really juggle which days you want to work and not work so there's a big difference between being a hospital doctor and a gp and i think that really needs to change because people are not dumb. You know, there's lots of brilliant individuals out there or medical students who might be listening to this podcast who could have been on to, could have gone on to be a fantastic neurosurgeon, but then thought, well, why am I sacrificing so much? I'm interested in working a bit on a, a side hustle as well. On the flip side of that, imagine you're a patient. I want to go to a surgeon who's done this case a thousand times. I don't want to go to a surgeon who's only done this case a hundred times the bare minimum to get enough to tick a box to say, yes, I've qualified as a surgeon. So there are some jobs which just lend themselves to being absolute, absolutely dedicated and focused on delivering that job. And I think surgical careers is one of those. You know, you don't want somebody who's half-assing surgery. You need somebody who's fully dedicated to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm uh, always amazed by um, somebody who manages to juggle a career like surgery, where you just have to concentrate on getting the maximum amount of numbers to build up your skills. And they manage to do um, a side hustle, if we are going to call it that. Okay, um, let's wrap up then with two questions. So Medics Money is all about helping doctors to make better financial decisions. And we started it so that we realised that our colleagues uh, weren't getting the financial education that they needed. So can you give me one financial tip uh, for our listeners that has really helped you? One financial tip that's really helped me. Ah, uh, the financial tip would be have multiple streams of income. Um, as as hard as that sounds, I think you need to start anywhere. So even if something's bringing in ten pounds a week for you, look for these small investment opportunities where you have a little bit of savings. You can put it into a certain pot and it will start generating revenue for you for you because over time that will build up and you will have a real burden lifted off your shoulders when you realize that there's money coming in even when you're not needing to go to work. Yeah, I mean, just generating money while, when you're not working, it's an alien concept for doctors because we're taught go to work, work hard, get paid well. But actually, there is another way that you can have that income coming in. Um, from different streams. So I think that's a great uh, tip. Um, and then the final question is, um, if you could, um, just because it's August and the uh, new F1s have started, if you could give your F1 self some advice in <laughs> retrospect, what would that advice be and why? Mate, I was a terrible F1. I was appalling. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, without trying to sound arrogant, I actually think I'm a very, very good doctor. I would, I, I think most people come to me because they recognize that I'm a good doctor, but certainly when I was an F1, I was terrible. I remember again, I, it was cardiology as well as an F1 and uh, we were on a ward round. It was me, the consultant and the reg. And I think it was day two and someone was having a bit of chest pain, maybe a bit of angina. And the consultant said to the reg, we really should do a troponin on this chap. 
And the reg said to me, we really should do a troponin on this ch chap. And I was like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think we should do a troponin on this chap. We came around the next day to do the ward round and the consultant said, right, what was the troponin result? And the reg looked at me and said, what was the troponin result? And I looked at them too and I said, oh, did you want me to do that? Like, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was terrible. I think, I think the most important advice I could give to an F1 is ask questions. You know, even if it's a, you think it's a stupid question, even if you think you're going to get that kind of side look, you know, d look of disappointment, it's better to be a little bit embarrassed than to risk your patient's life. You know, in that scenario I'm telling you about now, we had to put that patient on ACS treatment without a troponin result only because I hadn't done the troponin test. Whereas we could have saved the patient that potential med unnecessary medication, which could have led to a bleed or a stroke or something like that only because I forgot to do the blood test or I didn't recognize and I should have asked at that stage, sorry, do you need me to do that? Or are we saying this and you want me to ask somebody else to do it? Because I wasn't used to the system. I thought maybe a nurse would do it or a health practitioner or somebody else. I, I didn't realize what the system was on that ward. So ask, ask, ask. Even if it's embarrassing, your F1 is going to be a, a rough year. Your F2 is probably going to be an even rougher year because you finally have real responsibility and still, frankly, lacking in experience. But after that, you really will take off and, and, you know, fill your boots and really form the kind of doctor you're going to be going forwards. I mean, that's sage advice uh, learned the hard way, it sounds. And I think, you know, even when you qualify as a consultant or a GP, never stop asking questions. Some of the best doctors that I work with are constantly asking questions and you think um, they, they should know it all. But no, the great thing about medicine is and the great thing about business that I'm learning is that nobody will ever know it all. And there's pretty much no silly questions. So. Great, great advice. Okay. Um, if people are listening to this and they liking what they're hearing, what is the best way? We've sort of alluded to this already. But what is the best way to get in contact with you, Abdullah? Yes. So LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, I, I do make an effort to answer all of my LinkedIn um, requests or posts or, or, or messages. I do get drowned in a lot of marketing crap and a lot of um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, I forgot, job, you know, the guys job offers and stuff, or I thought we should connect because we're working in similar industries. Yeah, you look at yeah. Them and that, you're not in a similar industry at all. So not, yeah. not at all. And, and recruitment guys, God, you know, they chat so much rubbish and it's really annoying because it's like, I'll come to you if I need something. You don't need to come to me, but I will get through the messages. And whenever I pick up in the message and if you could really highlight, you know, you're a student, you don't have to be medical. If you're a student of any kind, I'm more than happy to help you. And of course, if you're a medical student or a doctor, I'm more than happy to help you there and give you some of my time as well. Yeah. And definitely start with your elevator pitch. So by that, I mean a really super short, punchy summary of what you do, because that makes it uh, easier when you're going through the messages, I, I imagine. Yeah, of course. I mean, e either way, really, you know, as long as I read the student, medical student, doctor, you'll at least get a reply. And if there's something that comes from that reply, it will lead on to a phone call and so forth. Absolutely. And again, I just wanted to thank you and Mo for the time and the mentoring that you gave us because uh, it's been invaluable for us and helped us to grow. So thanks for that. And thanks so much for your time today. I know how busy you are. So I'll um, let you get on with the rest of your day. Thanks so much for joining us on the Medics Money podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Take care. Bye bye.